Well, let's see. <clears throat> we, uh, we've been talking about the idea of fully man and uh, what this whole course we've been on. Uh, this is the ninth lesson out of this course, so it's been a while. <clears throat> is about uh, getting an idea of what the Bible says is the meaning of being a human being. Uh, and when I first developed this, it was because uh, I had gotten this idea that uh, in, in, uh, in churches, in Christianity, <clears throat> we, ten we tend to uh, focus on the sinfulness of humanity, and because of that, uh, I think we're accidentally telling ourselves that humanity is not important or uh, good or, uh, yeah, we say human life is sacred, but we don't really know what we mean when we say that. And in my estimation, what the Bible teaches us about the meaning of being human is far, far higher, a far higher concept of humanity than what we get from a more naturalistic, uh, modern scientific view of what humanity is. A modern scientific view is that humanity is sort of a physical accident. Uh, and so it's hard to it has that there isn't any such thing as a spiritual reality, uh, and so we have a a very self-focused idea of humanity, uh, and I think what the scripture teaches about the nature and purpose of human life is is something much higher, and that's kind of what this whole course is aimed at. And as we've come through, we've talked about how humanity was created. We talked about what happened when human beings sinned and how that wrecked us and, and the world, really. Uh, the universe, the created order, is sort of wrecked in the sinfulness of humanity. And then, uh, then we started focusing on Jesus. Uh, because Jesus is humanity perfected. Well, not perfected. Well, okay, perfected. Uh, the book of Hebrews uses that very term to talk about Jesus in his humanity. And uh, <clears throat> so if we're going to understand what it means to be human, then we have to really look hard at Jesus. Now, Jesus is a unique person because Jesus is fully divine, fully God, and fully man. Uh, and this is, of course, well, hard to figure, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, <clears throat> but sometimes when we think the Bible is telling us he's God, the Bible is really telling us he's man. 
For example, in the book of Colossians, the Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. Well, we use that text to say, see, he's divine. Or this text in Hebrews, which has been kind of our primary text, where we read he's the exact representation of God. And we say, see, he's God. And really the point of that text is more, I mean, it does say that. I don't want to discount that too much. But the, what it's really talking about is his perfection in humanity. When we say that Jesus is the image of God, it's humanity that's created in the image of God. And when we say he's the exact representation of God in Hebrews, we're saying something about Jesus the man. It's the same thing he himself said, when he said to, the, the, to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or John, in, the, in chapter 1 of the book of John, where he says, no one's ever seen God, but the Son, his only begotten, he has revealed him. He's the image of the invisible God. And that's telling us something about him in his humanity. So, now sometimes it can be hard to relate because Jesus' humanity is perfect and mine isn't yet. <laughs> but, uh, and we're going to see this, I think, today especially. So we're going to talk about Jesus being the sustainer of all things. Well, I'm not the sustainer of all things. So how does this uh, relate to his humanity? Is he the sustainer of all things in his humanity? Well, that, that's a kind of a tricky question. But let's just uh, let's, let's jump in. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that verse says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. In uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we would read, And in him all things hold together. Uh, He's the sustainer of everything. So if we were to ask the question, why does the earth keep orbiting around the sun, or why do electrons keep orbiting around neutrons, and protons, or what does the force of gravity have in common with subatomic forces? Blah, blah, blah. All those questions scientists are dying to figure out. The answer to all those questions is Jesus in the end. Uh, so Jesus is not just the beginning point of everything. That's what we looked at last time. He's the beginning at, uh, through whom also he created the world. He's also the end whom he appointed heir of all things. And he's also the one who carries everything from the beginning to the end. He's the sustainer of everything. Uh, 
The word upholds here is literally the word carries. It's the word, I, I have it printed on your sheet there in Greek, pharaoh. It's the word, the English word, ferry, as in a boat that carries you from here to there across some channel. Uh, that word ferry comes from this word, pharaoh. It's the Greek word for carry along. And we've already noticed that uh, the world through whom he created the world uh, is, a, is a word that really means the history of things, the ages. And so uh, Jesus is, is uh, bound up in the operation of events, of history. And he is uh, the one who is moving it from where it starts to where it ends. And it started by him and it ends in him. He's the heir of all things and he's the creator of all things. Uh, and here we see he's everything in between, carrying it from one end to the other. Uh, so all things have their beginning in Christ. All things come to their conclusion in Christ. And Christ is the one who carries all things from the beginning to the end. Jesus is the author of history. Now, we don't really like to think that history has an author because we want to think we're in charge of things, but uh, history has an author. <coughs> the universe <coughs> is not just a material system. In the modern age, we like to represent the universe as a material system, like a machine. And it has certain physical rules that determine how it operates. But the universe is more personal than that. It has a story, a history. Uh, it is a story, and it's a story with the writer. And so, for me, that modern materialistic view of the universe is too simple. It does not account for many things. And the things it doesn't account for, it chooses to just ignore. So it says, well, we can't, we don't have a, uh, we don't have a device for, measure, for the measurement of spiritual realities. Therefore, there are no spiritual realities. When <clears throat> all of us, experience spirituality, spirituality on a regular basis. Uh, but we simply deny it. Uh, so this is a case where, in my view, that materialistic view of things is too reductionistic. It makes things less than they are. And what we were reading here is that the... The universe itself, the created order in all of its greatness, is a thing told. It's a, it has a story. It's not just a system. Uh, the universe is the story, the setting of the story God told by Jesus, in which Jesus is the central character, the hero of the story. 
What this tells me is I don't really understand anything until I understand it in relation to Christ. All theology <clears throat> is Christology. If we ask the question, how do I know God? The answer is Christ. In fact, all true physics is Christology, if I understand it in its proper context. And I think, more importantly, history is Christology. Uh, If we think about human history, we need to ground that in the author. So the scripture says, by the word of his power here, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He carries all things along from their beginning in him to their conclusion in him. Uh, So Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Hmm. Now, how does that tell me anything about my own humanity? It's an interesting question. Well, I would say this. The life and character, the story of God is revealed in and through humanity. In Christ. And uh, so this is the reason there is a universe. Um, we'll see a little bit more maybe in this next text in Colossians 1.17. I'm going to read around it a little bit. In uh, Colossians 1, I'm starting with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. That's the sustaining work of Christ. So apparently, if Christ took a day off, everything would come apart. He holds all things together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So, again, this is in the text the headline of which is, he is the image. And so we have the humanity of Christ, supreme humanity. So how does this connect to anything we can understand about humanity in general? Is all this only informing us about the nature of Christ? Or does it say something about human beings. Well, I want to say these things. And I have them written out there on your notes. Human supremacy and dominion in the universe 
human supremacy and dominion in the universe originate in Christ. Now, I'm talking about Genesis chapter 1, 27. Let us make man in our image. And he made man in his image and he blessed them. Let me just read you that whole text. Bible. So find the beginning of the. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed, that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have given every green plant for food. And so it was so. And God saw everything he'd made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. <clears throat> God has given to humanity in general the image-bearing dominion over the physical world. Uh, now, if we ask, where is that uh, realized? The answer is in Christ. And the answer is not just in the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, creator of all, but in the man, Jesus. So when he comes to earth and he walks on water and he heals the sick and he uh, says stop and the storm stops, he is exercising this dominion. And so we see in him the exemplar and the epitome, the highest example, the best example of uh, this mandate for all humanity. And so he uh, is exhibiting perfect humanity in these things we regard as miracles, and uh, especially in his resurrection, and especially in his coming rule. So, uh, the... Human supremacy and dominion in the physical universe originates in Christ. In Adam, harmonious stewardship was broken, and creation currently suffers under our unwise rule. Uh, so if we looked at Genesis chapter 3, 
something has happened. Verse 17, Genesis three seventeen. Now this is after the fall. This is God's pronouncement of judgment. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. <laughs> I can't turn it off. Okay, so to Adam he said, I'm going to read it to you now, though that guy has a slightly better voice. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, So when Adam sinned, it didn't just break Adam. It broke the world, and it broke his relationship to it, his harmony with it. So now, you know, in the first pronouncement, God says, hey, everything... You see, everything growing on a tree, you can eat it. We can't eat everything growing on a tree now. Uh, And uh, things broke. In Romans chapter 8, especially, uh, Paul writes about how nature is longing for the realization of full humanity. And this is, of course, through the ministry of Christ, that this will happen. It's longing for the day when the sons of God will be revealed. Uh, So, uh, in the end, this will be restored. How will it be restored? Well, by Christ. In Christ, harmony of nature and everything else, is defended. So even now, he's carrying along, he's sustaining everything, he's keeping us from uh, driving it right off the cliff, he's uh, sustaining the world, the operation of the universe, our own lives, and in the end, All things will be restored. Uh, And if we could, we could go read Revelation chapter 21, where you have the announcement of the resurrected heaven and earth, the new heaven and the new earth, and uh, the restoration of the harmonious uh, relationship uh, of humanity to nature and to God. That's a full restoration of all of that likeness. We're restored in our fellowship with God. And because of that, we're restored in our fellowship with each other and with the creation around us. This is the story Jesus 
is telling and in which he is the primary character, the central heroic character. There's more to us than we think. In our current state, it is difficult for us to imagine what it really will mean to be a human being and what God is actually doing in the resurrection is something we cannot speak highly enough about. Um, so Jesus is the sustainer of all things. Now this really, I've already started talking about Jesus is the reconciler of all things, perhaps you've noticed. So my first point on your notes here is see above Jesus is carrying everything along into a, a great, a magnificent, glory to God a conclusion in himself. <clears throat> so Hebrews 1, 3 says, when he had made purification for sins. It's interesting, that's a perfect tense. It's like this, he himself made purifications, for he has made it. It is now made purification for sins. Well, what has been defiled by humanity's sin? It's purification. It's like a washing. What has been messed up by humanity's sin? Not just humanity, but the world around us. This purification of sins will be applied to the creation itself in the end. The language that the scripture uses for the new earth uh, and the, for the judgment that God will enforce on this earth is virtually the same death and resurrection language that the Bible uses for us. We die, we will be raised up at the last day. The earth is getting killed by sin, and it also will be recreated, raised up in the end. Uh, so there's a new heaven and a new earth. But it will be a material world like this one. It will in many respects be like this one. I mean, it'll have animals and plants and, uh, you know, us. And maybe stuff we build and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we can use in a, our imagination. We have to. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that purification of sins will purify all that has been made impure by sin. So we go back to that, what we read in Genesis 3 about the, the ground being cursed. The curse of the ground will be removed. So you read in Revelation 21 about the tree of life growing everywhere. You know, the tree of life is the tree we got thrown out of the garden so we wouldn't eat. But in the new earth, it's widely available. Um, so there's a restoration of the ground itself. 
in uh, Romans 8, <clears throat> the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption. We don't often think, we Christians, we, uh, we often think about the slavery to corruption of humanity. We're always talking about what sinners we are. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always saying stuff like, well, you shouldn't be surprised if people in this world do something wrong. If they hurt you for no good reason, for example, that if we read the Bible, that's to be expected. We shouldn't be surprised if human cultures and societies decline. We should be surprised if they ever don't. Uh, so, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised if human politics get corrupt or business or any other human venture. But uh, what's going to happen, the world itself is going to be restored. The creation is also a slave to corruption. And it said, according to Romans 8, it will be set free from that slavery into the freedom of the glory of who? The children of God. The restored man. That's who. So when we see Jesus is the reconciler of all things, we're not just talking about all us people. We're talking about literally all things. Uh, and in Colossians 1.19, he says, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. All things, especially people. Because what he's doing is he's restoring that Genesis 1 order. Well, and he's not just restoring it, he's redeeming us and everything from the collapse of it. And this is the glory of the story is that a redeemed creation, especially man, that redeemed creation is better than if we just stayed in the garden the whole time. Because it demonstrates something about the nature of God and all things that is more glorious. If Adam never sins, he just lives in goodness and righteousness, then all of us live in goodness and righteousness in the perfect world. God is not the redeemer. God's plan from the beginning was to be not just the creator, but the redeemer. And his, the redemption story is a glorious story. And so that is what we have in Christ. All of this is realized in Christ, by Christ, through Christ, for everything else. <clears throat> so we have in the end, restored image-bearing in restored creation, uh, new creation for new creations. You know that great uh, verse in 
Uh, I think it's in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, so there's a new creation for the new creations. So <clears throat> one of the things we can see here is what's the genuine nature of humanity? Christ is the exemplar sustainer. But what was it God said to, to, to people? To all people. To Adam and Eve and to the rest of us in Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Exercise rule over all the other creatures. So this is not just for Christ. And in the end, what we will do is manage the creation around us in harmony with it instead of in conflict with it. I think, wow, I, it seems to me humanity has been very productive in spite of the conflict with creation. I, I think it's impossible to imagine what it would be like if we were managing it perfectly and it were perfectly responsive. That's going to be another story. I don't... I, well, I can't, I literally can't imagine how productive it will be, how fruitful, how well it will exhibit God. Um, and that's what Adam might have done and failed to do. That's what we currently continue to fail to do. And that is what Christ, the perfect man, is bringing us back into. Uh, it's being a human being is a bigger deal than you think. Um, <clears throat> so he's the sustainer of all things and he has given to all humanity the role of sustaining things. And one day we will join him in this work uh, in perfection. He's the reconciler of all things. This has to do with the relationship, the binding nature of nature. It's built into all nature. There's, everything is related to everything. And this is a reflection of the Trinity God, the relational divine and in humanity you have the exhibit of this in uh, marriage and family relationships and even beyond that in community relationships and in the church the redeemed people is not a, just a collection of redeemed individuals it is itself the one body of Christ and Jesus, in his high priestly prayers, he's praying that we would be one like the Trinity is one. That the oneness of God in three will be exhibited in the life of those who come to faith in Christ. 
That prayer will be answered in its entirety in the affirmative. <laughs> the Son of God does not pray and not receive a positive response. And so we can look forward to uh, now, today, we have the tiniest taste of this, hopefully, in the life of the body of Christ, the church. This, this love of God that we share. But we're not very good at it, are we? <laughs> I mean, anyone in here on any given day might get on my nerves and I'm pretty sure I get on everyone's nerves some of the time. And I don't know how not to. You, uh, <clears throat> most of you guys live with a wife. This is supposed to be an exhibit of the perfection of the love of Christ and the response of the church. How's that going? It could be better. Should be better. You guys should try harder. But all of this flows from the cross of Christ, not from me, not from you. Uh, and so we have it now in faith, and it will be fully realized in the coming of Christ. So this reconciling work of God this is given to us as well in the life of the church. Like it says in Romans, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. <laughs> if I wanted to demonstrate that anyone and everyone is a sinner, I just have to read that verse. As much as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. Nope. But that's the mission, the assignment, the thing we have and have the opportunity for. Even now, we have this taste of this reality to come in which these things will be fully realized. How will they be fully realized? They are purchased by the blood of Christ on the cross, guaranteed by his resurrection and implemented by the ministry of his spirit. That's how. So this will occur. This story does conclude in him. But we can learn what it means to be really human by seeing the humanity of Jesus in these roles. I have work to do. I have things to sustain, maintain, to carry from this end of my life to that end of my life. I have uh, a role in the harmony of relations between us, between me and the world. I should take care of the world around me, even though it doesn't really cooperate very well. Even though, you know, us human beings, we can't always figure out what the best way to do that is. But we shouldn't just trash the place. We're supposed to sustain the place. 
we're supposed to bring healing in relationships of all kinds. And we can do so. And that's what Christ is restoring in us. That is a role of humanity. Humanity has always been designed from the beginning to be a reflection and representation of the divine. Always has been. In Christ, we are being restored in that role. And we have no idea no idea how good that's going to be when it's finally completely done. That's all I got. Pastor, I have a question. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of friends that we talk about the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And the topic was based on prayer, right? Yeah. Um, that, um, I was telling them that usually when I pray, I pray within myself. I don't pray out loud. Okay. You know. Yeah. And he said he prays out loud. But then he, he was talking about referring that um, when you pray, that the enemy can hear what you pray. And he, he kind of... He, he okay. Kind of disturb you or, or intervene in, in your... In mm-hmm. your... Um, and you will to serve the Lord more mm-hmm. and overcome certain certain circumstances that you face in life normally, daily routine of life if you work with or someone that's giving you a headache or whatsoever. Okay. You know? But um in my point of view, um I was telling them that you know I usually pray within because the devil can't hear what you I don't know how you know that. <laughs> you know. But it's like I, the confidence in me, you know. I, I think I, that I, I put like God, within myself. I told him, I. I, I guess I have I have a couple of responses. I also pray silently usually, because uh, just feels funny to talk out loud. But uh, I think I think the devil might be clever enough to know what you're thinking. I don't know. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't say. My second thing about that is I just am not worried about the devil that much. Yeah, me neither. Because the victory is ours. I'm, I'm worried that the devil might be tricking me somehow. But my solution to that is return to dependent relation to God in Christ. It's not to figure out how to out-scheme the devil. Because, well, that's a losing proposition. He's been scheming for thousands of years, and I've only got maybe ten. So the, the, yeah. So the the. If I read about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six, for example, really the sum total of all of that is rest in Christ, rely on Christ, and the devil's not a problem. Uh, you stand firm in faith. And every last one of those elements of the armor of God is another way of saying that. So the way you say bold, bold doesn't matter. Because as, as I just explained yeah. to you, it, it, it's based on if you're walking um, faithfully, 
I think as soon as you are praying, you win. I don't care what you talk about. I don't care how, whether you say it out loud or whether you say it in Spanish or whether you say it to yourself. As soon as you turn from I'm working this problem to Lord, please work this problem for me, you have won. As soon as I make the move of faith, that is repentance. That is all of repentance. There's nothing more to repentance than turning from self to Christ. I, I put myself in him, in his care. I remember his provision, which is promised to me even when I don't remember it. But I remember it. I put myself there. I live there. That's the whole thing. I, I, I think praying is not about getting whatever I'm praying for. Usually that's a bad idea. Praying is about praying. <laughs> the, the simple thing is, I can pray. I don't know why I ever do anything else. If I can pray. If I can live in actual communicative relation to God Almighty. Doesn't matter how, doesn't matter when, doesn't matter about what. I mean, there's a lot of books written about exactly how you ought to pray. I don't know if God ever read any of those books. <clears throat> there's a lot of books written about what you should pray for. There's a lot in the Bible where people pray for things, you know, and yeah, maybe there's something to learn there. But the Bible also says whatever you pray for, God's given you what's good for you, which what you pray for is whether that's what's good for you or not is pretty hit or miss proposition. Uh, yeah. So my my response is something like, as long as you're praying, I'm good. Uh, you've already won as soon as you pray. Any other questions? Well, I've got to say something. Okay, Bob. <laughs> Up until this lecture, I knew about man uh, and Adam, and after he sinned, of course, with the seed of that sin all the way down, and it affected man, but I never really thought of the world. But the mm. world also got hit badly. Mm -hmm. uh, then, then we can extend it even further, which I don't think I heard you say. How about the universe? Oh, yeah. I, the world includes that I, okay. in, my, uh, in what I'm saying, yeah. So I, I know you, you mentioned the world mm -hmm. and that things were what they were. You could eat of any tree do anything, you were superior to all the animals and everything. Uh, but I know it takes the universe, but what has changed and what will change back, I don't know. No, and none of us know. Uh, the only universe we've observed is the broken one. That's right. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, uh, I think, I guess I would say the new earth, new heavens and new earth, that's the universe, by the way, <laughs> uh, will, will be this one resurrected. So what we're seeing is this one dying. Just like when we look at each other, we're seeing this one dying. You know, this, we're seeing the, hum, the only humanity we, are, we know is, is humanity under judgment. Humanity dying. Humanity with disease, conflict, warfare, crime, sin. And humanity with creativity and, uh, well, all the various, and art and genius and, you know, all the accomplishments. I think what you see is the image of God <coughs> impaired and sort of broken down, but still functioning, still present. And what we'll see in the new humanity is the, the resurrected, the per perfect again, you know. And we'll be living in a world that has been similarly resurrected. Uh, and when I say world, I mean physical creation. Uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say physical, because honestly, I think the creation itself is more personal than we typically credit. Uh, you know, Adam, Eve wasn't surprised to be talking to a snake. There's something going on there. <clears throat> Things are more broken than... We don't know how broken everything is because we didn't see it before it got broken. But when she was talking to the snake, everything was perfect. She didn't think it was weird to talk to a snake. She did When the snake says something to her, she doesn't go, wait, a talking snake. That's like I would. What if Adam didn't uh, sin? What if, if he didn't, if he refused to? Yeah, well, and then we'd already be living in this kind of world. But we'd still be. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. What if Eve sinned and Adam didn't? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's no way to say. And I would say this. Adam and Eve sinning is in the plan from the beginning. Yeah. It, it was not like God was up there in heaven and he looked down and he said, What have they done? It didn't surprise him. We, we, I know this for sure because the New Testament says, and probably the Old Testament does too, but the New Testament says it really clearly that redemption was in the plan of God before creation started. So God's story is a story in which he redeems his uh, fallen people. And is one of them to do so? <laughs> so that's the argument. How come God knew and he permitted that to happen? 
I, and to me, the only answer to that question is that story is the best possible story. The story in which human beings sin, suffer judgment, and are redeemed in part, that story is the more glorious story than the one in which they never fall. That, that to me, is the only possible answer to this question. That God is, this, the, God's purpose in the story is the revelation of himself and that for his glory. And this is the story in which that is best accomplished. It must be, because it's the story he's telling, and he's God. Now, we're in a, uh, what we call a theonomy problem now. How do you account for the existence of evil if God is good and all-knowing and perfectly loving? And I, for me, that's the best I can do is... Well, the story in which evil exists is better, more good than the story in which evil does never exist. Ah. And the value system here has to be from the divine perspective. It's about the exhibition of God and his greatness. And the recognition of it. Yeah. And I recognize that this response is not entirely satisfying. Well, it's a challenge because now we can decide whether we want to follow him or we want to continue. Right. That's correct. That's right. And if we come to him, he takes us in. Every last time, without fail. The promise of God's word is, if someone comes to Christ in faith, he receives them. And somehow, our free agency uh, is involved, and at the same time, God's sovereign will rules all of it. Uh, who will come to Christ is known by God and was in his plan from the beginning. And yet we each are responsible for how we respond to Christ in the cross. <clears throat> Again, there's no satisfying accounting that I know of. There's some that go a long ways, but no one gets all the way home. If we didn't have a God that uh, was over our heads, then we wouldn't really have a God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for bringing us together today. Lord, we, uh, I just thank you for the fellowship of this uh, group and uh, for our time together in the Word. And Lord, we just... Uh, can only thank you. Father, we pray uh, uh, for the rest of our weekend that it would be uh, good, especially tomorrow, Lord. We ask uh, 
for, uh, for you to bring those people you want to come and hear what the church is all about. Thank you for all the work that's gone into the open house. And, uh, Lord, we just pray uh, for your direction and our wisdom uh, throughout the day. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.